One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. But every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Uh, Ted Tynan, I forgot to mention uh, Ted Tynan's message to us yesterday. But it contained a very, very stark piece of information that we have absolutely no reason not to believe, but is just a little bit frightening. I'll come back to that during the course of the morning. Good morning. 0818 96 96 96. Text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. And the email opinion at 96fm.ie. Also coming up, surrogacy. There's a demonstration outside the Dáil today. We've talked about surrogacy before and about how the law really, really needs to be changed in this country just to let people genuinely be parents of their own children. That is why they need to change the law. That's coming. Uh, now, might you be about to either have to pay more for your fish and chips or not be able to get them at all? Now, the second one will be a total tragedy given the amount of fish and chips that gets eaten in my house. But the prospect of it going up in price is very real uh, because it's just another element of, believe it or not, the cost of fuel. That and loads more to come uh, over the next couple of hours. I promise you what Ted Tynan has told us is quite frightening. And if it's true, and I don't doubt that it is, we are at a very serious turning point with the level of poverty and need in our city. But I will come back to that. Firstly... A number of different things have been brought to our attention in the buying and selling of houses. And as we know at the moment, it's a seller's market. Uh, There's a lot less property out there than we need. And prices are very, very high and climbing. They might level off before the end of the year, but at the moment they are certainly climbing. And whenever you get a, a market that's on fire one way or the other, you get things starting to happen. Gazumping, for example, is back. And there are things like people will have your offer accepted. They've taken your offer. The buyer's accepted your offer. And then you get bumped by another offer. 
and unfortunately it is entirely legal. Let's talk a little bit more about it with Rachel Sarah Murphy, who's in the auctioneering and buying and selling game these days. Morning, Rachel. Good morning, TJ. It is awful, isn't it? I mean, it, it is, like, I'm free the way Rachel, my, I suppose it's my name now, but it, it, I'm new to this, but my family obviously are, are at this year's yes. the auctioneering. It is so, it is so regulated now. For auctioneers, I've just I've just done another uh, another thing with PSRA where we, we talk about all of this. It's so regulated that I spend most of my day doing the paperwork because you have to be so transparent as an auctioneer. And if you're not, you can get your license taken off you, and you can get fined up to two hundred and fifty thousand euros. But it doesn't stop some people. But look, the the bulk of people in this industry are absolutely lovely. What you have to be careful. There's a few things that, that people are angry about. Sometimes people will put down when they're advertising a property, they'll put down asking price. Yeah. And so the asking price is 320000 And then when somebody offers the asking price, it's not taken. So then why was it put on? So I would always put a guide price, especially at the moment, because the, it's so buoyant, the market at the moment, that we don't know. I mean, yeah. a three-bed semi is going for 450000 in Kinsale. That would normally go for three hundred and maybe forty. So it's very hard to know. But auctioneers on the whole um, are very honest about this, but you can get gazumped. Um, the, the, I suppose the, because of the transparency, so if I was to sell a house, I would always ask for proof of funds for every bid that I get in. Yeah. Because if not, I could put in a bid of 400000 you could come along put in a bid of 420000 but maybe you don't have 420000 yeah. and then I go 430000 yeah. So that, that to me... As as um, just as a, a person, I think it's really important that for my clients and a lot of auctioneers are like me, is that you have to have proof of funds okay. for every bid that you put in, so you're not ballooning the price. Let, let's let's as, let's uh, let's just break it down a little bit and, and go through one or two of the problems. Gazumping um, was yeah. always there. Um, back when I last bought a house, which was been 2004, one of the things that happened a lot back then, Rachel, was people were put bidding against themselves. You yes. knew you were bidding against yourself. You'd no way of proving you were bidding against yourself. I caught someone doing it to me. I walked away ah. from the sale. Good and you. six weeks later, after I'd gone and done a deal on another house, the guy came back to me and said, I'll give it to you now for less than what... He said, we, we, the other person pulled out. I said, there was nobody else. And I know there was nobody else. Now, is that still going on or have we changed how things happen? Well, it shouldn't be going on. It's illegal. <laughs> but, but it probably is going on. Like every other industry, you'll have people who, who you know, take the mick. But, but I think when the, for the, the, the dumping side of life, you were talking there earlier on about putting down, when somebody's putting down or an offer has been accepted. Yeah. The minute that you put a booking deposit down in a house, and you get an email from the auctioneer to say booking deposit received or you get your receipt, etc. via email. It's done. That's your house. You know, you, well, you go through the process of, of then buying the house, but there's nobody else can come in. But you can, oh, I mean, we all know PG years ago, you know, the uncle of a friend's uncle wants the house. Yeah. So, you know, do you know, he's going to get it. Um, but, so but once you've paid over your know, deposit. It's done. It's done. But. The problem Nobody is in between the time that the yes. price is accepted and you get your legal paperwork in, yes. something else can happen, can't it? It can. It can. But, and, and you have every right as a potential purchaser um, to ask questions. 
you know, and any auctioneer who would be asked questions and might make them nervous. Um, you're never, ever, ever, ever going to find out the truth unless everybody within the bidding situation wants their personal information yes. public. Yes. So, and that's never going to happen. So you're never going to know. So you went on a gut feeling when you were buying your house that somebody else was, a phantom bidder was there Ghost and you pulled yeah. out of the property. Yeah. yeah. And that's happened. There's nothing we can do unless anybody decides to go public with their information. Yeah. There's now, nothing we can do. You know where the second buyer comes in? Like, and you said that we, we often think the second buyer may not actually have the money. They're just messing around. But, but, but yeah. what can we do about that? Well, you see, I'm transparent. So, so if you're in, if you're bidding for a house with me, you're on a, you're on an, an email that was everybody, everybody's BCC'd, but the email goes out. So it's all transparent. Um, just in case the PSR want to see it one day from me. Yeah. Um, so that the, you can stay in the bidding war, but every single person has to show proof of funds for the bid. Right. That's just the way that I do it, because but I there's don't no legal requirement on you to do that, is there? Uh, from a GDPR point of view, um, no, there isn't, and I have to be very careful with it. Right. Um, there, is, there is no legal requirement. I can, uh, I'm sure people do accept bids without it. I just don't. So, so just if, don't. If, if you're selling a house to, to Fergal and yeah. and I come in and I make a better offer in the middle of that process uh, you'll say to me well I need to see your proof of funds I need to see you've oh, got the extra 30,000 yeah I don't take a bid without it I right. don't take a bid of anything without it but there's no because, yeah. but there's no legal that, that's the point there is still no legal requirement on you to do that no, like there's a legal no, just at the end for the just at the end for the final wow. bid then, then yeah so so it's just a legal requirement. It's not a legal requirement. It's just a personal requirement for me because I don't want prices ballooning up. And some people, I mean, God love them. Some people are trying so hard to get the lender, you know, to give them their, their letter in principle that, 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 you know, they're waiting and waiting. And they might just come in and go, oh, 420 when they don't actually have it yet. You know, and I yeah. can see why they don't want to lose. There's no houses for sale. I sell in Kinsale and there's nothing. I've two coming up now, thank God, this week. But like there's this. So they'll be gone within two weeks. You know, so people are desperate to get a roof over their heads and they will do anything. Um, But uh, but I have to say, when it comes to this industry, it's a very, very different industry to the one at Rock and my mother was starting out. It is so regulated now. You have to be so transparent. And as an auctioneer, you know, you have a duty of care to your clients. Yes. And yeah, so, you know... Again, can, can a person who is buying... Uh, the the person who has been bidding on the house will say four hundred thousand was the agreed price, and then this other bidder comes along, and you come back to me and say, PJ, someone's come in with thirty four thirty. Can I ask to see proof of funds there? Oh, not no, no. From a GDPR point of view, I couldn't share any of that with you. I see, I see. So yeah. you're the and and you're not obliged <clears throat> to ask for it. No, not until the final bid. So, so that's that's a hole in the system, isn't now, it? And that I, I I believe it's a hole in the system. I mean, you have to be very careful because of GDPR. You have yeah. to be extremely careful. I spend, like I said, I spend most of my time with the paperwork side of this in this business. It's all paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you have to be ready because you're audited as an auctioneer. You can be audited every two years, every three years. It's not like once in a lifetime. Yeah. You know, so. So, yeah, so it's, but it is very regulated, but that is a hole in the system, PJ. I'd love it to be sorted out because otherwise the prices are ballooning. Yes. And you're taking in bids. And sure, look at anybody. It's anybody could sit down in the evening after a few glasses of wine and go, ah, look, we put 450 on it. 
see what yeah. happens. And whether, they, they, have whether they have it or not, which is disgraceful. Whether they have it. Yeah. And then I have 400,000 on it. And, and, then the, and then the auctioneer, obviously, when they find out that there's no funds there, will then come back to me. But maybe I've yeah. settled for another place. That wasn't so so how can home. a buyer, other than, going, other than going to your company, Rachel, where you do it, how can a buyer no. insist uh, that, because, that uh, protect because, themselves yeah. against this happening? Because I th- well, I think you need to sit down. There are so, like, like there are so many. Uh, I'm in Cork, as you know, we are all in Cork. But there are so many lovely auctioneers here in Cork. A lot of my studied with a lot of uh, free to be cleaning we work with. Sit down, have a chat with them, tell them your concerns, and ask them what they can do to, to you know, make you feel better about working with them. Because the clients, we work for the clients. If I'm selling your property, yeah. PJ, I'm working for you. Yeah. So and and. It's, it's just the way that I deal with it, that when I get potential purchasers coming in to the property, I like everybody to be singing from the same hymn sheet. Everybody's transparent and nobody is, um, you know, trying to pull a fast one. Right, right. But yeah, but, but, yeah. but it's, was... it's regulated. There's a lot of auctioneers out there. I wouldn't, there's, there, you're talking about one or two or three, you know, really. Yeah, but, but, yeah. but, but, but what, what we're, can't hide the fact from Rachel, is that you will get people who will come in with a, a gazumping bid and they don't have proof of funds and they don't have to show it under their law at present. And like you said, that yeah. seems to be a hole in the law. Another thing that used to happen, and I believe it's happening again, so you have a new development and we'll say the first 50 houses go up at, let's say, go back to that number, 400,000. First 50 houses go up at 400,000 and you go to the, the selling agent for the developer and he or she will say to you oh they're gone now, they're gone, they're all gone but you can have uh, phase two for 440,000 it's the same blasted house is that legal? Well the, the auctioneer only works for the client so if, if the developer has said he wants 450, that's what the, the auctioneer has to get them um, so I mean that's, that's, we work for the client but um, I, I suppose you did, like every situation is different is the situation of the property you know is it closer to amenities you know what, what's the difference in it also the also, the market is so buoyant yeah. now PJ like in three months time you know things could be you know up again another 10 or 20,000 per three bedroom semi-D so, so it could be the market being buoyant it could be the situation of the property but it doesn't matter if I'm working for you, you tell me what you want for your property and it is my job as an auctioneer to get you that price. Or to come back to me and say I can't. I never say that because I'm a great seller. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, but it is. It is. But look, I, I don't want people to get um, unduly concerned. Auctioneers have to be very transparent now. It's very regulated. There is a duty of care. And I'm delighted to say that I work within an industry now that is so regulated so that a lot of this Resumping, etc., has yeah. been wiped out. But there are still people who aren't. And you will know them because when you sit down with an auctioneer and they are like somebody, you know, in the bidding auction, they're like somebody like that. Money, 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 money. Walk away. Go with the auctioneer who you feel comfortable with and who is your best interest at heart. Yeah. yeah. The, the two terms, just to go over them one more time, gazumping, we know what that is. Before you've got your contract before you've got your booking deposit paid, somebody comes in with more money. You have no way, of, well, you would, but there's no legal way of knowing whether they have that money or not, but you can get gazumped. Explain then one more time, Rachel, what is ballooning? Well, ballooning, you come in with 420, but you don't have it. So then I start, so then I go in at 430. So you've ballooned it up to 420, but you don't have 420. 
So now the price is going completely. So so now the last bid that actually had money behind it was my bid at four hundred. Right. But 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 you are it's ballooning up because we don't have proof of funds from people. Sure. Like it's very easy to sit at home with a few glasses of wine in the evening and go, I should put four fifty on it. You can't I could not I could not accept an offer from anybody without proof of funds right. because it's not fair. But this it's is my point that I'm fair. making. Yeah. Go back to the, the it, we used to, used to be ghost bidding, bidding against yourself. That is illegal. Yeah. But ballooning is another way around it. If I don't have to, unless with your company, if I don't have to prove I have the 420, mm-hmm. then... Well, well, you see, you will, if you will if you're the last bidder in. Yeah. Because if you're the last bidder in, I have to obviously check proof of funds before I accept a booking deposit. Um, so if you're the last bidder in. But for every bid, it's a lot of paperwork, yes. PJ, to be transparent. That's why I, like, I'm a paperwork fanatic. And law is my forte. And I'm delighted to say that when I was studying auctioneering, law took on a very dominant uh, section of that course. And I'm delighted that it did. Um, but it's a lot of paperwork to be getting because you have to get rid of it for GDPR reasons as well. You have to be, you know, you have to be very careful. You need a big so shredder. It's a lot, yeah, it's a lot of work, but I think it's worth it. Okay. I think it's worth it to be transparent and for my clients to feel safe and people, potential purchasers, who I feel for hugely at the moment, um, that they feel safe. Go with a company that is seeking proof of funds. You don't have to see the proof of funds, but go for a company that is seeking proof of funds before you get into a bidding war with anybody. Rachel, thank you. Rachel, Sarah Murphy of Free the Way Property. My friend was interested in a house until she saw the ballooning on the online bids. It sold for a ridiculous amount. And look at the number of bids that are just happening online. Yeah, yeah. at least that ghost bidding, (coughs) bidding against yourself, at least that's done away with now. Um, it was always illegal, but at least it's done away with now. They can Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The on Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With CarMax Used Car Supermarket. Dublin Road for Moy. Great deals on hundreds of cars. Just a short drive from the tunnel. Visit C-A-R-M-A-X-X. CarMax.ie. On Cork's. 96 FM. Now, we talked about surrogacy on the programme before and about the legal nightmare that is out there for um, parents having children by surrogacy. There is just no law in this country, which means that children are kind of in a stateless legal limbo, as the Irish Times puts it. And now we've spoken on the opinion line before with Sam from Irish Families Through Surrogacy. Sam, good morning. There's an event today at the Doyle to try to push for for legislation on this. What are the issues that you hope the government will address? Good morning. Yes, good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me back. Um, we're currently on the way up to Dublin as we speak at the minute. So um, we're really hoping at this stage, you know, to, that the two main issues are going to be covered. And the first one um, that we're hoping will be addressed is the retrospective recognition of children who are already born through surrogacy. Um, so we've got children already living, breathing, 
in Ireland as a result of surrogacy. And we're really hoping that they will be recognized uh, retrospectively. And we're also hoping that there is a pathway um, to parenthood as well for the second parent. Um, the second headline um, issue we're hoping to be addressed is also that international surrogacy will be considered. Mm. I spoke to a lovely woman a couple of times who has twin boys and they were born in India through a particular method of of, of surrogacy and um, she is their mother in all intents and purposes except she's not recognised as such by the state. Is that what you want to change? Uh Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think for us as parents, I mean, from a personal perspective, I've had um, over the course of my years around 17 major surgeries to correct my condition. Um, I've had a very long and painful recovery process. And at the end of it, I've been told that I cannot bear my own children. Um, to go through all of that heartache, um, you know, and last time we spoke, I, I was pursuing surrogacy in Ukraine, which has now stopped. I've actually just come back from Georgia um, as a result of um, the war in Ukraine. And basically to come back from all of that, um, you know, having so many, you know, heartaches, having so many issues um, to come back and then to be told that you're not entitled to take your child to the hospital, um, you know, if for any sort of medical treatment. You're not able to apply for a passport. You can't enroll um, into school for the child. Um, it's very heartbreaking, you know. So we really want to see that the second parent is recognized. And, you know, God forbid anything happens to my husband because he would be at this stage the only person who could, you know, um, do any legal um, things with my child. How hopeful are you that this will be thoroughly resolved, Sam? Um. Well, we're very hopeful. Um, you know, we, we welcome the recommendations that have been set out um, in the report. We're still trying to get our head around it at the minute, but um, we're very pleased with the direction it's taken. And it looks like they really value the equality of our children and they're, they're really taking the rights of our children into consideration by providing a clear pathway to legislate how to obtain uh, parenthood for the second um parent. Yeah. Um, I think the, the next steps are key. Um, you know, we've got to get the Department of Health, Justice and Children together to really bring this into legislation. Yeah. But certainly we welcome the recommendations of the report. So we're very excited for today. Yeah, this was a, a, the report of the Joint Committee on International Surrogacy, which is a, a publicly available report. People can get it and read it online. I, unfortunately, with things like this, Sam, nothing moves quickly. Are you hoping it might? Um, well, the surrogacy uh, legislation has been years in the making, right? And I think we already have children, as I said, that have been born um, through surrogacy already. So there is a sense of urgency to get this legislation in as quickly as possible. However, I do think that it needs to be thoroughly implemented and it needs to be comprehensive and it needs to include and protect all stakeholders, including children, especially the children, you know, the intended parents, but also the surrogates as well. What's it like to be waiting for something to happen like this? <laughs> it's been tough. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think, you know, from my own perspective, um, it's been heartbreaking going through what I've gone through only to come back to be told that I have no legal relationship with my child uh, or my future child. It's, um, been very um it's been an, an emotional roller coaster um but you know 
in, at Irish Families for Surrogacy and other groups who are really pushing to get things put in place as quickly as possible. And I think it will be hugely exciting if we can, um, you know, when we can eventually get this over the line. The strain of it, um, I mean, you've been many years, like you, you explained your medical condition, it's impossible if you have your own children, you have this way of doing it, you have the, everything works out, hopefully, and then you come back and there's a huge strain involved. Like you said, if, if, if anything happens to your to your husband, what happens? You know, everything is up in the air. It must be very, must be very difficult mentally. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge emotional strain. I think it's been uh, very tough to kind of get your head around it, which is why we're fighting so hard to get this legislation in place to protect everybody, but also so that we can protect our children and have them recognized, um, you know, and have the second parent in place to be able to, um, you know, to have a, a normal relationship with your child and to do all of the normal things that every other child, um, you know, in, in Ireland can do. Um, and it's just unfortunate that, you know, we are not being treated as equal because our children have come into the world a different way. You know, it's a huge emotional upset. It's very worrying um, and it's very concerning. And I think I speak for the whole surrogacy community when I say that it is a hugely upsetting point to come to that after all the, you know, the hurdles that we've overcome to get to the point where we have a baby to come home and only to be told by the government that we're not recognized. It's it's awful. It's awful. Okay. Sam, the event is at 12 noon. I know that Rosanna Davison, of course, who has a particular interest in this, has said she will be attending and there'll be quite a sizable group outside the doll today at midday, just looking to push through what seems perfectly reasonable law that Sam can be recognised the parent or anyone can be recognised the parent of their own children in the country in which they live. Thank you, Sam. Good luck with that. That's Sam from Irish Families through surrogacy, uh, their Cork committee. Can I remind you that Pride Vibes is uh, on air now, online at least, round the clock, the biggest hits and shining a light on Irish life. It's our brand new station with conversations also around the issues that matter. You can join us as we count down to parades and celebrations across the country. You can stream it on the app, the Corks 96M app, or you can get more at pridevibes.ie. It has its own website. And Pride Vibes is supported by Voltrol, the joy of movement. You can listen live now with Cork's 96FM. Now, <clears throat> there is a, a crisis brewing that might affect you when you go for your takeaway on Friday or Saturday. Or when you go to your favourite restaurant and you look for a plate of fish and chips. You might not be able to get them or they might be gone way up in price. And it's all down to, if I understand it properly, the sheer price of putting a trawler out to sea at present. Patrick Murphy, Mary South and West Fisher Producers Organisation. Patrick, is, is that the case? It's just proving so expensive to go to sea now that the price of my simple, humble plate of fish and chips is going to have to go up. Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and good morning to the listeners. And you, you've hit the nail on the head. Yes, it's it's that simple. So um, a boat uh, puts fuel into into it before it can go to sea, and that means before a euro is earned, they have to pay for that fuel, and they have to pay for all the other expenses that have gone up, even the food that they put on board the vessels. And this is not just uh, for bigger boats. This is down to the small inshoreman in a in a petrol outboard. Uh, the price of petrol has gone through the roof as well. 
And uh, what we're looking for, PJ, and we're looking for help and support from the community and from the people at large, is that the Article 26 2.2 that was put in place by the European Commission and that's being voted on by the European Parliament, passed by the European Pesh Committee, will be adopted by our own minister and government. No. And the six million, that's there, PJ, it's there. There's six million euros that is unspent in the Maritime Fisheries Fund from the last programme. And we want that money to be given out and not to be put in fellas' pockets. It's to take down the price of the diesel for the next trip. So, so, so we so break, break, break that down for people, Patrick, who don't know what it is. This is a, a piece of European legislation that would, if implemented, drive the price of fuel down. Is that what it is? Yes, it would take 35 cent off, like in France, like in other countries in Europe that have already implemented this piece of legislation and these guidelines to allow their fleets to get cheaper fuel, right, to allow them to go to sea and catch some fish and be financially viable so that the boat owner can finally get some money from the fish to pay to his crew to reward them for their efforts of going to sea uh, for this fish. Talk to it's me about how costs have, have gone up, Patrick. Let's compare a, 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 a little fishing trawler, small trawler, heading out of Union Hall for a day or a night or two days or two nights at a time. The cost of putting that trawler out compared to this time last year or the year before. So our chairman now would explain that... Uh, in the 30 years that he's been operating, he's never paid so much for a fill of diesel as he's paid in the last couple of days. It's gone to five figures, over €10,000 worth of fuel he had to put into the boat. Normally, PJ, that's 3000 What? So it's gone up by triple, 3000 Price of fuel at its lowest, PJ, was around 30 cents a litre in the last two years. It's now at one twenty-two per litre for these vessels. It's virtually impossible, and we've explained this to our government. If people are not earning a living wage at sea, they won't stay at it. They leave the industry. And as you know, PJ, can you imagine asking any man to go on board one of the modern trawlers today and say, take her out there now and go fishing? They'd look at you as if you had two heads. So the skill set that's involved in this will be lost. We're going to have the same thing that happened, our sugar beet. The same thing that happened, our Midlands and losing peace and briquette mm, production mm. is going to happen to our fishing industry. So let me break if this we down. don't have action. Break this down now. Maybe bit of cod or pollock or haddock or whatever it happens to be on top of my chips and peas on a Friday night. The cost of going to sea to get me that bit of fish for my dinner is treble what it was a year ago. Yes. That's that's it's that simple. So, like this time of the year, fishermen right need to build up the reserves, right? And it's a good time of the year. The weather is fine. There's long days. They get that extra little bit of fish. Yeah. So it pays for the bills that have built up in the winter time. So if they can't make money now, PJ, they have no hope going into the future in the winter time and gales and storms when they're there. And these are family men and women, right? That go to sea. That come back to their families, their wives and their partners and they say, listen, how do you do this week, honey? Oh, we got a rake of fish. Fantastic. No money. Why? We, it went on fuel. So what do we do? Do we go looking for another job? Or do you stay there hoping that so eventually somebody will listen and, and help you out and put the provisions that the European Union have put in place to allow you to continue to fish? Can you imagine, PJ, 
if the other scenario is this. So all the Irish boats stop fishing, but you still want fish. So where do you get it from? You get it from the coast of Africa. So now you've got the opposite to what they're complaining about in the Ukraine, where Russia's preventing food from coming out. We then will stop our boats from fishing and we'll have to take the food from the mouths of Africa and other countries that will be flown in then for that fish. And I don't think anybody would be advocating that either. And that's what will happen. We're already importing fish into Europe because our fleet can't catch enough to meet the demands. So that's the second thing. So we will be part and party of taking food out of the mouths of children in Africa. And that's not a a joke. I'm Mm. telling you that's happening as it is. We have boats going to those countries catching fish. And you've heard about it. You've read the small indigenous people of those countries saying that the big boats are coming in from Europe and everywhere and they can't compete. Well, you can imagine that's going to be ramped up now because the Irish fleet and the other fleets in Europe won't be catching fish so you have to get the fish from somewhere. This is this is this is incredible, Patrick. The cost of going to sea is treble or near treble what it was, and there is legislation, European legislation, in place to assist you and your colleagues with this. There's money in place for that assistance. It requires a signature of government, and you don't have that signature yet. Yes, so we're meeting the Minister today, all of industry, at uh, five o'clock Irish time. And he's going to tell us whether he's going to put this in place or not. And I can tell you tomorrow, if you want me to come back in air, whether our Minister has heard our calls, heard what the European Union has said to all the countries in Europe, heard what the European Parliament has said to all the member states of Europe. And this is what needs to happen. Here's the money. Here's the provisions. Give it to them. So we'll know whether our minister is going to listen to those calls and from industry right across the board and whether he's going to just sign the paperwork and make it happen. Right. Patrick, always great to, to have you on the opinion end because you clarify, I think for those those of us who are city people, you clarify for us the, the hardship of putting a small trawler to sea with a crew to pick up the fish, the great fish that we will eat. So your bitter cod that's with your chips and your mushy peas on a Friday night or Saturday night, that is, it is three times more expensive to go and get that bit of cod for you as it was a year ago. Europe has money in place. There is money in place and legislation there to help the fishermen go out for that fish for your dinner. And it requires a signature of government to get at that money. 0818 96 96 96. Thank you, Patrick. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. Hope for the Homeless will be having a street collection between 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. on Saturday, the 16th and 30th of July, and are looking for volunteers to help out. Based on Shandon Street, the charity provides clothing, toiletries, food hampers, emergency accommodation, and much more to the homeless and those struggling financially. If you can spare an hour to support the collection on Patrick Street, contact Gillian on the Hope for the Homeless Facebook page. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email Cork Diary at 96fm.ie. Corks 96fm. By the way, I don't know who's interested in the developing story from number 10 Downing Street. Uh, I'm following it because I'm fascinated by it, but uh, and if anything happens throughout the course of the morning uh, in number 10 Downing Street, you'll certainly be the first to know. I'll let you know. But other than that, we're, we're kind of, it's on on the telly in the corner. I personally don't think Boris is going anywhere, at least not today. But then again, I could well be wrong. 0818 96, 96, 96. Imagine finding out 
that you have a condition that you only thought much older men could get. You happen to be a young woman, uh, a young sportswoman, in fact, and you end up with a diagnosis that you thought younger women didn't get. That's exactly what happened to Rochelle Flanagan, who's a former international hockey player. You didn't think women like you, young, fit, healthy women, could get Parkinson's, did you, Rochelle? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, no, I absolutely didn't. I'm actually a registered dietitian as well. And uh, I had actually, in fact, um, you know, seen people, a few people with Parkinson's over the years. And, and to be honest, myself um, thought it was older men. Um, so I was really taken aback when uh, when I realised I had uh, Parkinson's disease myself. What age were you? I was uh, 47 at the time uh, when I was diagnosed, but actually I, I picked it up when I was 46. I was pregnant with my second child, uh, three months pregnant actually, and um, I noticed when I was in my clinic writing in my record card, uh, a patient had come back to see me after a number of years, and I noticed my handwriting was much smaller than when they had seen me you know, five years previous, and uh, I thought that was very strange, and when I went to make the handwriting bigger, I couldn't. And I thought that's really strange. And and basically, it's a thing called micrographia, which is right. associated with Parkinson's disease. Right. I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of that. So you your your writing had changed. Now people's writing change yes. as as they go yes. through life. But but yes. you couldn't actually. It was it was gone almost too small for you to read. Yes. Yes. But you couldn't yeah, physically a- make it bigger. No, no. So that's what made me think, okay, there's something very strange about this. So a lot of people don't realize they're, they're, they're called prodromal, they're sort of pre-Parkinson's um, symptoms. So small handwriting. The other thing I had, which I didn't realize at the time, was a sort of aching shoulder. So frozen shoulders, something that's associated with Parkinson's as well. Um, there were very minor sort of symptoms. Uh, and my neurologist sort of, you know, thought, you know, I'm too young to have uh, Parkinson's. So I had a brain scan. I had a nerve uh, trap nerve test and, and then I had to wait until my daughter was born and breastfed before I had a thing called a DAT scan which uh, confirmed basically that I didn't have enough dopamine which is, is related to the, the Parkinson's basically. Yeah. What's it like to be told you've got something like that at just 46 because it's it's incurable, it's degenerative, yeah. it's with you for the rest of your life, you can control and manage it but it's never going away. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was pretty, pretty shocking, um, uh, you know, to, to get a diagnosis, especially alongside with the birth of my daughter. You know, I, I sort of, you know, um, had a long journey to have her. So um, to then have her born with, you know, a diagnosis of Parkinson's was, was quite the uh, the carpet pulled from underneath us. Um, but that's the thing about Parkinson's. I, I did a lot of research because I say as I'm, I'm a dietitian and I realized really that there was a lot that I could do to to control it rather than it controlling me. Um, so Parkinson's wants to make your world smaller. You have to kind of fight back against it. Um, but lucky enough, I'm a dietitian, so I, I had the knowledge base which which to do that. Mm. But a lot of people with Parkinson's, and there's other people younger than me in their teens, their late teens, they're diagnosed with Parkinson's as well. And 40% of, of people with Parkinson's are actually women. So back to your point that it's not just an older man's <laughs> disease. It's not just about a tremor. There are a myriad of, yeah. of symptoms can, that can affect people yeah. with Parkinson's that make life very difficult. We have this stereotypical view of the shaky hand and that yes. kind of thing, but that's that's just a, a part of it. So, how is your health now? That was to, that was twenty seventeen. Yeah. How's your how's your health now? Yeah, like my health is is pretty good, but uh, they call it sort of the honeymoon period. So, after about five years, you start to notice what they call a bit more um, 
off. So basically what happens is with your dopamine uh, levels uh, kind of start to go down, you lose more neurons slowly. And some people go much faster. And in fact, young people with Parkinson's who are diagnosed under the age of 30 tend to actually have worse symptoms than older people. Um, So there's this, again, uh, image that, you know, when you're older, you might have the worst symptoms, but actually some of the younger people have worse. Um, So for me, I do a lot of exercise and exercise is the only thing we know potentially that can slow progression. So it can really help symptom management. And then obviously from a diet point of view, it's very important to follow a good healthy diet because the gut is is very much associated with uh, Parkinson's disease. Um, And also, yes. Yeah. Um, So in terms of the microbiome, so actually there's a lot of work been done by the APC uh, microbiome Institute down in Cork. John John Crane and his team. Wonderful people. Yeah. Yeah. So, They're doing, he'd be interesting to get on to talk about this whole gut brain uh, around Parkinson's because there's a lot of very interesting um, evidence to show that it potentially might start in the gut. Um, so there's a whole issue in terms of pesticides being associated. In fact, actually, Parkinson's disease is higher uh, prevalence in rural areas rather than uh, urban areas. So there's so much that is known, and it's the fastest growing. Uh, neurological disease in the world and it's actually growing uh, fast in younger people as well as older people so but we have a real problem in this country in terms of access to to services and and that's you know really what uh, has probably led me to to be with you here today um, because basically we have only six um, nurses uh, specialist nurses for Parkinson's disease for 12,000 people in the country we should have 30 and in fact Cork has none Um, so we have a the rebel bus traveling up to the Dáil today. We're, we're doing a presentation to TDs because we, we really, it's got to desperate stakes. Uh, there's a lot of people suffering out there um, needlessly um, because they can't get access to neurologists. Um, uh, Tony, who's the chairman of, of the Cork branch, hasn't seen a neurologist in two years. Um, I do a callback service uh, for people with Parkinson's around diet and it's it's really hard listening to people isolated in the countryside, you know, older and younger who are, are really struggling yeah. Um, because they can't get access to the care. And and people, there's a lot of ageism around Parkinson's in terms of the image of it. Yeah. And they think that, you know, that's just a tremor, but there's so many uh, th- other things going on. And for women in particular, but also men, um, symptoms of Parkinson's include anxiety and depression. Um, you know, and a lot of people don't know that. And that can be really debilitating for people with Parkinson's. Um, so there, there's many things that we need help with. Physically, we know that men's bodies and women's bodies are different. Um, mm. Does it have an effect on women that we mightn't have thought of, shall we say? Yeah, well, we do know in terms of the, uh, um, I actually co-authored a, a paper on the unmet needs of women with Parkinson's with a number of neurologists because there's so many things that aren't been dealt with for women with Parkinson's. And one of them actually is the mental health uh, issues, so anxiety and depression. So there's many women with Parkinson's that have a delayed diagnosis because they're told, you know, it's just due with their hormones or it's in, you know, it's just their head. And many of them have basically been dismissed um, around those symptoms and it's, it's delayed their diagnosis. And the longer you it is before you're diagnosed, the more neurons potentially you've lost. So you want to get in early to diagnose people to try and keep as many of the neurons they have to keep as much dopamine as they have. The other thing then is women uh, tend to get the same medication dosage as men, but actually women tend to have, you know, um, a different metabolism and they metabolize the, the drug much quicker for Parkinson's and it can cause a lot of mm. uh, distress in terms of symptoms this this raises an argument I've come up against before, uh, Rochelle, and you know it was kind of a learning for me as a guy. So many medicines that we give out for chronic illnesses have been tested only on men, 
And yes. therefore, when you give a woman a medication that's been tested only on men, you may well have missed something. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the case of Parkinson's, there's a, a condition called dyskinesia, which is very distressing, which is directly related to um, absorbing too much of, of the medication called levodopa. And uh, it's very debilitating and women tend to suffer from it more. And well, also what is a thing that? called dystonia. Dyskinesia is where you um, basically, it's, if you can imagine, it's like a tremor all over your body, but you're kind of rocking and rolling. You're literally moving all the time. It's oh, having God. excess dopamine. So dopamine basically helps your muscles to move and helps you to move. But when you have too much of it and it doesn't get into the brain where it needs to get, it causes a lot of symptoms. Uh, and it's very distressing for younger people, especially for their family, you know, yeah. young kids seeing this their parents. Is a, this is like, like a person, this. you see them, a person with severe Parkinson's that's not well managed. Every part of them yes. seems to be moving. That's yeah. what that is. Yeah. And it's an yes, uncontrolled movement. Yes, yeah. So it's very distressing, you know, it for is. a lot of young people. It's horrible who, to look uh, at and it, it tends must be, be terrible to suffer yeah. from. Yeah, yeah. And often people are, you know, perceived as being drunk because of it. Yeah. Um, because, you know, of their movement. And uh, so you can imagine being a young woman with kids, that that's very distressing. And there's another thing called dystonia, which is severe cramping of the feet or the hands. So that basically can stop you from walking. So again, you're a busy mom with kids and, and suddenly you can't walk. Um, so there, there are a lot of these symptoms that people aren't aware of. And um, and also for women, one of the key things is for younger women, it's something that I'm uh, very interested in is the impact of our hormones. So generally speaking, it's shown that women with Parkinson's um, have worse symptoms around their menstrual cycle. Um, so a week before their period, their symptoms tend to get much worse uh-huh. because basically um, the estrogen drops and it affects your dopamine levels. Okay. So there's many women out there who literally are, are you know, confined to the, the house for a week and maybe two weeks wow. because yeah. their symptoms are much worse. There's, there's, so there's things like that that aren't taken into account. I'm sure people can look up and find out more on the Parkinson's Ireland website, the Parkinson's Association of Ireland website and the Women's Parkinson Project, which you were the co-founder of, Rochelle. Thank you for being with us on The Opinion. That's Rochelle Flanagan. It's, it's, it's a horrible condition. Um, um, it really is. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Oldies and Irish on Corks ninety six FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Well, there's no sign in Boris going anywhere just yet. Uh, if we hear any more different to that, then I'll certainly let you know. Uh, 0818969696. I, I told you about that message we got yesterday towards the end of the show from Councillor Ted Tynan. There's kind of two parts to it, um, all to do with energy. Uh, I'll give you the first one and I'll hold on to the second one because I, I want to see if anybody feels or has come across this or experienced it themselves. And I know there are people listening to us who sadly have to go to a food bank for some of their food. I, I know that that's out there 
I don't know what that must be like. But Councillor Tynan said to us, the ESB is about the cost of energy and electricity and all these things. The ESB was a great, highly efficient state organisation. And do you remember what happened 15 years ago? The new private companies couldn't compete and Electric Ireland was forced to put their prices up to create competition. These new private companies now can't get instructions from the government to reduce or stabilise prices in the current cost of living situation and the cost of energy is just everybody's problem right now we got this one fuel prices have gone crazy the green party tells us it'll be fine when the renewables kick in but in my opinion that will be in about 30 years time we're importing our natural gas at crazy prices solution is just off our south coast i wonder how up to date this information is but i do think he's right barry Rowe is the largest natural gas field in EU waters. There's over 40 years supply down there. We'd be self-sufficient. But no, says this message, the Greens won't let us tap into it. It's crazy, it's crazy, it's crazy. We could even be supporting this. The solution is right outside our door. Well, whatever that... uh, Another solution that they've come up with in West Cork is an ingenious one in Clonakilty because we know that the most renewable form of energy is the energy that comes straight from the sky. Solar energy. And, you know, we, 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 we see solar panels up all over the place and we talk about solar farms. And Johnny O'Donovan is one of the people behind the Clonakilty solar farm, which is the kind of renewables and the kind of sustainable energy we'd all love to have our houses run off of. So, Johnny, before I um, before I talk to you about where the project is now, tell me a bit about it in the first place. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Good to be on. Good to talk to you. Um, firstly, yeah, I mean, um, like everything in, in, in energy, this um, project started uh, a number of years ago, and I'm a member of the Clonacilty Chamber of Commerce here, and it was an initiative run by the Chamber that's um, called Cool Clan, where the town came together and explored ideas where they could actually improve the sustainability and environmental awareness of the town. And as part of that initiative a number of years ago, um, we basically held a town hall meeting, which was really, really well attended by the whole, um, a lot of the cross-section of the town. And from that, uh, a lot of ideas came up, but one that came up was this idea that like, oh guys, wouldn't it be great if we could generate enough electricity to offset the usage of Clonacilty Town? And obviously everybody was like, oh yeah, that'd be great, but uh, we might get to that after we do some of the smaller projects. And then around that idea, um, again, somebody in the room uh, a a week later um, came to us and said, listen guys, I think think that's possible. Um, I'm aware of a project. Um, in this location that that I think we could use to actually achieve that goal. So from from that, um, the Chamber of Commerce um, set up a, a working group, if you like, a committee that went about ex- achieving exactly that, which was to go and um, examine this idea that there was a project, a five megawatt solar project, just outside the town in Shannon Vale that had received planning permission mm. and to explore the idea of us getting involved and and seeing what we could do. And is this literally just an enormous collection of solar solar panels? <laughs> exactly that, yeah. So wow. basically, we we approached we approached the developer of it, and 
um, in 2020. And um, the idea was that what came out of that is that the Chamber of Commerce was actually able to acquire the interest in the solar farm and proceed as part of the RED scheme, which is the Renewable Energy Sustainable Scheme, that um, as, a, as, as the first wholly owned community solar project um, in the country. So the, um, basically what we have out there in, in Shannon Vale is um, a 26 acre site um, that will be covered in basically 22,000 solar panels um, and basically generate enough power for for the, the town of Clonakilty. Now, obviously, we, we can't control distribution, but the idea is that we a farm that size would on a on a max capacity output day would, would generate enough electricity for a thousand homes, which really if you look at Clonakilty would be enough for, for our area. Yeah. Again, as I said, we can control the distribution of it, but sure. we're offsetting that um, with our scheme, yeah. So so, so would it yeah, be that's, that's that that's this would be this electricity would be generated by these panels yeah. on a good day? What do you do then? Yeah. Store it in batteries or, or feed it up into Absolutely. the grid or what do you do? Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. No, we're 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 not looking at um, battery storage at the moment. Obviously, there's a massive cost involved in that. Um, but what we what what we're doing is we'll be generating it and and then offering it straight to the grid. Exactly. So we'll have um, basically the the process is is there where you apply to the air grid, and that's the that's the process that we've just been successful in right now. And the, the auction process where we've been in a price to, to air grid for the power that we're going to generate. Okay. They've offered us the contract. They've offered us the contract to buy that power at a certain rate for the okay. next 15 years. And then we move on from there. So we're kind of in an interesting stage of the project now where uh, a small community in West Cork is looking to raise the actual necessary funds to build this, which right. is a multi-million euro project. I, I'll get to that in, in just a moment, Johnny, but mm. I will bring this down to, to brass tacks. And, and forgive me, mm-hmm. I'm just going to pluck figures from the top Not of my wrong. head. So let us imagine mm-hmm. that the daily cost of electricity to Clonakilty, for argument's sake, we'll say is a million euro. Mm-hmm. And then this farm is capable of generating electricity worth a half a million euro that's fed mm-hmm. up into the grid and does that reduce yeah. Clonakilty's bill then by 50% uh, well uh, is that how it's supposed to work? Re- yeah well no uh, again as I said we're, we're we're not in control of distribution um, and yeah. the idea here is that we offset our usage yeah. so we'd be Clonakilty as a community would then be offsetting that half a million euro of usage with sustainable energy. We can't we can't say that uh, uh, the power that that's being offered up by the solar farm would be used by Clonakilty. Now, a lot of it will be obviously sure, its location but you're, or whatever. You're, you're, but buy, you're buying juice from the grid, as it were, and you're also feeding your own juice back up into the grid. So you're really only using fifty percent of what the grid is generating. Hmm. Wow. We're offsetting it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, right. so it's, 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 it's very exciting. So how much to get it going before you can switch it on? This is this is the question. I mean, obviously, we're very um, conscious at the time, like uh, right now, of inflation and all the rest. So we're we're suffering in that space as well. So at the moment, we're at a stage where we've offered our electricity to the grid. We've been offered a price for it, and now we're working with our team um, to basically go to tender with this and see what prices we get back. Like every other industry, where the, the solar industry is obviously a very hot topic at the moment and mm. there's a lot of demand for 
not enough resources. So we're going to, the next six months um, will be the kind of financial stage where we go to tender, get a price and, mm. and then raise that money to actually build it. Um, so it's... Is, um, is the hardware, as it were, getting more or less expensive? Exactly. More expensive. Um, like through the pandemic and all the rest, it was a situation where they, they suffered from outages on production, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just coming back now. And obviously you have the issues that we have with fossil fuel prices at the moment. Um, every country and every place is looking to solar. So you can imagine that the demand that comes along with that would, would have inflationary issues with it, alongside it. But sure. I mean, we expect to, we expect to get this um, for a price. Uh, obviously I'm not going to get into the, the, the nitty gritty of it, of but it's, a, it's multi-million. It's multi-million. Um, and we're going to, we're going to raise that by, looking at um, partnerships again around the sustainability and um, issues that companies have. So one of the opportunities we're looking at and we're looking for right now is to partner and with companies that have environmental, social and governance responsibilities that they could tie up with this project and look at sponsorship opportunities potentially or, or partnership tie-ups that could provide equity for us then to finance out the rest. With, maybe with a, the heavy, a heavy duty multinational partner, say. Exactly, PJ. The bigger, the better. It's funny, that that message that I read out just after the news there, talking about sustainable has taken 30 years. I mean, this doesn't have to take 30 years. This could be done quite quickly with the right money and the right right resourcing of of the project. Yeah, Again, I mean, the planning of this has been quite long. I mean, if you think like 2019, this project received planning permission, 2020, we got involved and... 2021, we negotiated the purchase of the special purpose vehicle that actually owns the site. Um, now we're into 2022. It's the res. It's the res um, auction that just happened. That's the kind of last hurdle, and then it's really over to us. So we're looking at starting construction of this inside the next 12 months, and being operational towards the end of 2023, commissioning um, or. Yeah, commissioning through kind of 2023 and commence operations in 2023, 2024. That's exciting. Um, the big side of this as well, yeah, the big side of this as well, PJ, is that this is community owned. This is not a situation where somebody's running off with all the money. Um, the idea here is that we we take a risk at the, at this early stage and the payoff would be that after we've paid the finance on this over the years, that there'll be a residual pot there that can be then distributed into community projects within the local area. It's it's the coolest idea I've seen in a while, Johnny. Thank you very much for that. That's Johnny O'Donovan. He's one of the people behind Tony Kilty's bid to go solar, literally to build a massive solar farm to generate megawatts of power for use, send it back to the grid, and then it offsets the cost of running electricity into Tlon. Brilliant idea. You'd wonder why loads and loads of more places couldn't do it. I know, I know we don't necessarily have a whole pile of Mediterranean sunshine, but the new panels now just pick up on the general light in the air that's out there. It doesn't have to be bright yellow hot stuff. Like that light that's out there now is enough to generate power in, in some of the new panels. That's brilliant. It's only down the road in Flan. 0818 96 96 96. Coming back to the energy costs and the fishing. Uh, we've all heard the massive prices that oil companies are making recently. Actually, I got a, a picture last night. The price of a barrel of Brent crude. That's kind of the most basic crude oil. The price of a barrel of Brent crude oil has plummeted 
Um, where is it now? Just get the picture out. Give me a second. Talk among yourselves for two seconds. Actually, you don't have to. I'll, I'll, I'll do a break and I'll come back and tell you. The price of the Brent crude plummeted, according to Blue Bloomberg Television. So you kind of wonder when our pe- petrol and diesel might start to go down at the pump. I don't think it will somehow. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, last night, according to Bloomberg Television, the business channel, uh, Brent crude, crude oil, barrels of crude oil had gone down $10.58. And they'd fallen from roughly just under $11 to just under $3. Yeah, they'd gone down... Nine percent. So from yeah, they've gone down. They've gone down nearly eleven dollars, uh, according to Bloomberg last evening for a barrel of oil to one hundred and three. So will we start to see that reflected in our prices at the pumps anytime soon? I don't think so. Unfortunately, oh wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now the it hasn't happened just yet, and according to the Dublin Airport Authority, it will only happen if COVID causes it to happen. But the army is on standby to go in and try and help the security situation at Dublin Airport and try and reverse this crazy situation where the airport has mad delays and people missing flights and queuing for hours. and it, It's just a mess. And I know a few weeks ago, I was kind of saying, well, we have an army... They're all security cleared. They could go in. They ran the vaccination centres flawlessly and brilliantly. Could they help out at Dublin Airport? And I I was slated for thinking that because people said, well, actually, you know what? That's cheap labour for the airport rather than just a solution for the security problems. I kind of don't know where to sit on this. So... They may or may not go in. Let's talk to Shelley Cotter from WPDF, who's been on the show with me before. And Shelley, we saw how brilliant our soldiers are with the vaccination centres. And I'm very sure that a lorry load of soldiers brought onto the campus there at Dublin Airport could really start to shift things around and do things very efficiently. So should I want it or shouldn't I? Good morning. Good morning. I couldn't disagree more. Um, for me, it's absolute misuse of our trained personnel who are already, um, I suppose, stretched to the limit in their own barracks and in their own jobs and what we're trying to do. They have a mass exodus um, of personnel. So with COVID hitting, say, the airport is also going to hit every barracks in Ireland. Um, and we found that very difficult. And as you say, the defence forces step up at every moment, but why should they step up for Dublin Airport? We have um, a business, G4S in Dublin. They're trained in security. Why not have a truckload of G4S go in? The reason being, it's too expensive. People want to use the defence forces for cheap labour. Mm. The defence board members come, of course, with with security clearance, if you like, built in. Well, there's a little correction there because they've yeah. actually bussed men and women down from Finner in Donegal and they have to go through training for the protocol in Dublin airport so technically no they're being having to be trained into what they need to do for Dublin airport so again why could you not bring somebody like the Dublin 
business, G4S Security, who would do the crowd control for concerts, the Pope, for everybody, you name it. Why can they not step up? I see. Again, money. And again, I was making the comparison because I saw them doing their job in the vaccination centres and their knowledge of logistics and ability to move things and resources and people around is magnificent. And I thought, you know, because of the carnage that is at Dublin Airport, a few suitably trained up soldiers could really ease the process. But you're saying that's not their job. Look, I'm going to be one of those people in Dublin Airport at the end of this month. You know, I'm already sitting here wondering, will my flight even take off? What am I facing when I leave Cork? You know, but even I cannot justify the thought of our highly trained men and women being put in this position. It's not their job. I mean, for me, it won't be just a few. You're taking them from corners of the country, not from Dublin barracks. You've got families now in those barracks towns and the garrisons whose holidays and time at home is being put on hold for Dublin airport that, again, wasn't on. Now, the thing is, you've understand that the, the contract that our men and women are on, tie them to do as what they're told by the Department of Defence. So they're not going to get anything extra. Now, it has come out overnight that PD4 have put in a representation to apply for a daily rate for our men and women above what would be the normal for AIDS and civil power, solely because this is not a normal situation. But as with most applications that are put in, the Department of Defence find a way around not paying it. And we certainly wouldn't see anything going into our men and women's pockets for weeks, if not a month or two ahead. Um I mean, we have Cahill Berry. He was, he's a TD now and he very oh, eloquently put it. Yeah. He was a former medical officer. Okay. So he, he has made it eloquently put. I think it was on News Talk where he broke down and he explained that, look, they're tied by this. They, their work time directive doesn't apply to ours. So the hours are not set. So the people in Dublin Airport will work the hours they work. Our lads will work longer. They earn less than minimum wage per hour, which again is illegal for every other job. But you're asking them now to double job and step up and do this. You know, we, we're looking at no union representation. Um, they're not part of ICTU, so they need to be able to have a voice, but they don't. So they will have to do as they're told under the directive of the Department of Defence. All these things show that it, it technically in 2022 is slave labour mm-hmm. and it's it's not appropriate. And to be fair to them, For they, somebody they will else's. do it with a smile on their face, which is the best part, you know, so they, well, will, no, that, they will, but, you know. No, it's fine using COVID. It's fine bringing up this, but at the end of the day, everybody, everybody mm-hmm. has to pre-plan for these things. They all don't get to call the army, so why should the DA? I see, I see. And this is coming from a Defence Force family? 100%, 100%. I mean, if you think about it, I suppose the frustration with army families is there's 6,500 army personnel. There's 15,000 guards. Why not have some guard trained? Why not bring... Do you understand where we're, we're trying to say is there are other options Mm. By all means, when it comes to emergencies. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We cannot class the DAA as not looking after their staff and being short-staffed as an emergency. It's creating a horrible situation for the rest of us going on holiday. But it's mismanagement of their situation that has caused this. Not a pandemic that is now two and a half years old. Mm, mm, mm. Mismanagement. Mm. So put your hand in your pocket and pay the people. Okay. Shelley, that's a very solid argument against um, bringing in the Defence Forces, I'm sure people might have different views. Talk to me about um, briefly, if you would please, PESCO uh, because it's something okay. that kind of is going on under the radar for a lot of people who don't understand it, but what is it and why are people not happy about okay. it? So PESCO is kind of out of our remit as such because we're the families, but I'll explain. PESCO is the permanent structured cooperation for Europe, European, and it was established in 2017. And the whole reason of it is just to strengthen European capabilities in defence. So we joined up. We're part of quite a few countries that are doing it. I suppose as we don't technically, as I said, in our remit, but we find it quite ironic that we are trying to strengthen Europeans' defences when our our own are so vastly understaffed. Mm. We're stretched. Our capabilities and strength are undermined. Never mind actually adding these four new um, things that they're putting us forward for. Um, Is it wonderful that on a world stage, in a European stage, we're lauded and we're applauded? And rightly so, because as you say, we are spectacular, PJ, Mm. at what we do. Um, our peacekeeping is known worldwide but please can they just put money into our infrastructure put money into our wages put money into our cyber security which as you well know we suffer badly from Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. start putting it back into this and by when we are stronger as a core unit by all means bring us into PESCO and we can do what we do best 
But by involving us in all these different missions and things that they're doing now, they are putting a vast strain on us here at home. I got you. Shelley, always good to catch up. That's uh, Shelley Cotter from the group Wives and Partners of the Defence Forces. So the argument is that bring in the soldiers to Dublin Airport and they will use their fantastic bank of skills to help the situation in Dublin Airport. They will be brilliant at it, like they were brilliant at the vaccination centres, like they put tens of thousands of people through vaccination centres, quick smart, because of their ability to handle crowds and marshal these kind of things. And if they are asked to do it in Dublin, they will be brilliant at it in Dublin Airport. But Shelley's argument is, contrary to that, brilliant and all as they are, and would be, why not just get proper security personnel and pay them? rather than the army going up there on existing wages and working around the clock for nothing extra at Dublin Airport. I'd love to know what you think. Um, The polls were suggesting that a lot of people do want the army brought in. Um, If they do go in, then surely they should get a bonus for it. Surely they should get something for it because the security personnel working opposite them are getting paid. And listening to Shelley, I I must admit, I was kind of saying, yeah, you know what, the army would be fantastic at this and let's ask them to come in and help, and and help they would. But Shelley has kind of convinced me that it's not really the right thing to be doing, but that at least if you are going to do it, and this is my view, not Shelley's, at least if you are going to do it, then pay them. Pay them. Properly, Pay them, for example, the money you'd normally pay DAA security people, eh? That might be a good, a good start. Thanks, Shelley. Your thoughts? Um, the Army, they would do a brilliant job. Can't question that. They would sort out an awful lot of the mess at Dublin Airport. They'd do it in a day or two. You know, see, the, see a bank, see a... a a lot of soldiers at work managing crowds and managing people. They're fantastic at it. But is it right to have them there costing nothing instead of properly trained security personnel and paying them a salary? Or if we must have them there, we've got to give them proper due payment for it. I'd welcome your thoughts. 96. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Voice messages, of course, included on that one. Come back to talk about not being paid properly. Come back to what Ted Tynan was saying. Now I told you what he was on about the ESB, and he was making a strong point about the ESB. But he finished with another message coming in on this to us yesterday. And 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 if Ted says this is happening, this is happening. We know Ted Tynan here, Fergal and I, and others in this establishment have known Ted Tynan for many a long day and if he says this is happening it's happening Ted says people are turning down bags of potatoes when they're being given them at a food bank people are saying no I I can't take them I can't take them they can't afford to cook them they can't afford ovens to bake them or Water, boiling water to, to boil, they can't afford it. So they're refusing 
bags of potatoes from food banks. That is how stretched some people are, according to Councillor Ted Tynan. Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. City Limits Comedy Club presents the award-winning Glenn Wall Plus guests this Saturday night of July. His impressive array of TV credits includes John Oliver's New York stand-up show, as well as appearances on 8 out of 10 cats and never mind the buzzcocks. Tickets are available on the door. Access all areas. C6 Steve returns to Cork for the first time in a decade with a show at Cypress Avenue on July 19th. Tickets are on sale now from the Old Oak and from cypressavenue.ie. Access All Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. With Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialists in sound this summer. On Cork's 96FM. Paul has some thoughts on Dublin Airport and the Army and all of that. PJ, the reason that the the DAA won't hire private security firms is because they'll be paying over €30 an hour for each individual. Because by the time the private security company pays the individual and then take their cut for their management staff and everything else, the price is upwards of €30 an hour, if not more, with some of them. Thank you for that, Paul. 30 quid an hour. He's, yeah, the agency's got to be paid and the security personnel going to be paid. And that puts the price up. Thank you, Paul. 083 396 96 96. If you have a voice note for me. The Corks 96 FM Best of Cork Awards. With localheroes.ie. For trusted tradespeople with a 12 month warranty. Backed by Board Gosh Energy. It's about damn time to celebrate. So good to have these awards back. The Best of Cork Awards 2022. You can nominate now. You might want to nominate the best breakfast or the best barber, beauty salon, hairdresser, burger, hotel, pizza, takeaway, best business Instagram. You just go to 96fm.ie to nominate your favourite in the particular categories. There's also a €5,000 media campaign from Cork's 96FM up for grabs this year as part of the Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie, which is your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, plumbers, electricians and much more. The awards presented only by Cork's 96FM. The Safe Pharmacy Initiative was launched officially on the 1st of July and it's a way for people who are experiencing domestic abuse and other such things to be supported in their local pharmacy um, on a confidential basis. I'm joined by Una O'Hagan. Una, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Explain how this works, please. Yeah, well, Safe Pharmacy is a, is a new initiative, as you, as you said, rightly said, to provide, I suppose, support to victims of domestic abuse and coercive control in their local pharmacy. And it's an initiative that's been led by the Irish Pharmacy Union in partnership with Safe Ireland um, and Garda Síochána and the HSC. And really what it involves is community pharmacies, and there's over 850 community pharmacies signed up to the initiative now, providing a person who's experiencing domestic abuse access to a safe phone um, and contact details of their local support services in a very safe environment. Um, and that enables 
the victim to make uh, that important phone call. It might be to a family member, it might be to a local specialist in domestic violence services or to the guards themselves. And this is all done within the pharmacy's private consultation area with the utmost discretion. Um, people will be treated in a very confidential, non-judgmental way and a very compassionate way as well because, um, as we know, pharmacies are the most trusted profession here in Ireland. Um, mm. People are very used to coming in and speaking and have a, have a very trusted relationship with their local pharmacist. Um, so this is not something that would be unusual for somebody who's experiencing abuse where their movements may be monitored day to day and their access to their phones might be monitored uh, and might be limited day to day. Well, you know, most people live, you know, 85% of people live within a five kilometre distance of their local pharmacy. So, and they would often visit their local pharmacy. Mm. So it's not behaviour that would be out of the norm, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, and so they can come in, they can ask to speak to the pharmacist, they can explain they'd like to talk about safe pharmacy and they can step into our private consultation rooms and have um, access to a phone. Um, and also any of the pharmacies who are participating will have a poster up um, on in their consultation room with the local services number and have a list of 38 different local services specialised in domestic abuse. Um, and, and the person can make a safe phone call mm. in a safe environment. Uh, you know, and, and this supported. would be this would be and all most pharmacies. I, I are they required to have them? They have this little room where if you want to go in for yeah. something that might not be directly over the counter, and the pharmacist might want yeah. to talk to you about it, you go in for that. It's in that particular room, or that you um, exactly right. Yeah, exactly. We all are. We all pharmacies are required by law to have a private consultation room, and this is exactly for if somebody wants to speak to the pharmacist in private about maybe a medication or shows a rash or you get a vaccine now covid yeah, vaccine or yeah, you know yeah. so it's a private room and um and, and and there is a private room in every single pharmacy in the country so this is just simply coming in and ask could i have a word with the pharmacist please in private and this is not something that this happens every single day there's always somebody in our consultation rooms having a, a quiet word with her or with her staff or her pharmacist so it's not something that would be it would look unusual you know because that's really important as well that it, it doesn't seem out of the norm um, mm. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, a victim's um, behaviours day to day. So they can come in. It's all very discreet. Um, as you know, pharmacists are highly um, trained, incredibly professional and very discreet. And, um, and we, we treat everything in the utmost confidence. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So this is um, an environment where it would be deemed to be, number one, very compassionate. Um, and number two, um, highly confidential. So people can come in, step in and they can get access yeah. to our phone um, where they can make a phone call on a phone that's not obviously um, being monitored as well. So, well, What is the status of the of the rollout that I know the launch was last Friday? You have yeah, a consultation Friday, yeah. room in every pharmacy. So are they all yeah. good to go now or is it be, will it be a gradual thing? Yeah, so we have 850 pharmacies are signed up now um, to this initiative and there's a list of pharmacies on the IPU website, but also... Um, for anybody, any of your listeners um, listening in, the, all ph participating pharmacies have been sent a starter pack. And in that pack, there's a little kind of like purple sticker, um, which we are told now to put onto our windows or doors, a little decal. So that says safe pharmacy on it. So 
pharmacy should be able to be identified by the little uh, decal in your window or in your door. And so that's how um, the public would know if it's a participating pharmacy or not. Mm. Um, And once you see that little sticker, that will tell you that there's a trained champion. Um, There's been a champion nominated in every participating pharmacy who has been trained on the initiative and who then has taken it on board to train the other staff within the pharmacy. So in that pharmacy, there's a trained champion who would have briefed everybody else within the store. And so you should know that um, if you see that sticker that everybody in that store should be briefed and that you know you can go in and ask speak to the pharmacist and the pharmacist will know in the utmost discretion Mm. what you're talking about step into the consultation room and there you are you're in a safe environment where you can make that safe call and that's simply what we're doing we're simply linking people who unfortunately are the victims of domestic abuse or coercive control with the appropriate services that's Mm -hmm. all we're doing here so that it's that first step and that's what I would encourage anybody listening that's all that's needed you just need to ask for help and and very often that's the most difficult I think think it's Um, brilliant Una but just one 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 little thing that has come into my mind, and I'm, I'm assuming yeah. this question has been asked before. Some people are forced to live under a level of control where they're barely left out of the sight of their partner. And yeah. to go to the chemist for something as simple as a box of paracetamol, yeah. he'll walk in there with them and stand watching. Yeah. yeah. How do yeah. you get the opportunity? Well, well, I guess, you know, what we would encourage people to do who are under that level of control is still to come into the pharmacy and, and still to explain that they want to speak to the pharmacist in private, maybe about, I don't know, uh, you know, a private ailment or you yeah, know, okay. a rash or a headache or whatever. And with the, with the hope that you would be able to step into the consultation room. On your I own. have you. I have you. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I guess if this initiative can help one person in the country, then it's a positive initiative. Absolutely, it is. But we so would this, hope, yeah. So, so the, 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 I'm thinking of pharmacies in the catchment area now, literally yeah. everywhere from Castletown Bear to Dungarvan yeah. at this stage. Um, so this, if the sticker is on the door, the service yes. is ready to roll. Exactly, exactly. And we'd encourage anybody just to come in, you know, because you will be listened to, you will be believed, you will be supported. Um, We're here to help. Um, Pharmacists are working in every single town, city and village across Ireland. Um, We're extremely accessible. We're open late nights, we're open weekends and and the public can trust us. um, And and we know that. So we're, you know, we, we just want to extend, I suppose, the offering that we can do to help, I suppose, people who we know um, are being affected with this in every single community across Ireland, unfortunately. No, it's a, yeah, it's a super um, initiative and it, it gives people a way to escape that 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 power that they're under. Even yeah, for and just two to or three take minutes. the first step. Yeah, just even just that. to take the first step. That's right. it, you know, right. and, and, and just to say you're not alone. This is much more common than what we think, unfortunately. And you're not alone. Okay. Una, thank you. Una O'Hagan from the Irish Pharmacy Union. There will be a sticker on the door of the pharmacy uh, once the system is up and running. And go in and just ask to speak to the pharmacist. You don't have to tell them what it's about. Just come to the counter and say, look, can I speak privately to the pharmacist, please? They'll bring you in and then you can tell them what's on your mind and they'll help you in any way that they can. Good idea. It's called Safe Pharmacy. 0818 96 96 96. Hey, PJ, wife of a soldier here. No doubt the army would do a great job at the airport. Remember how they managed the city hall. They're trained at security, but something has to be done about the wages. My hobby could work 50 or 60 hours, 
still coming out with basic pay. No other employee would accept that in any other job. Getting phone calls the day before to go here and go there. 100% they should get paid the extra if they had to go to the airport. Everybody gives out about the army, saying they do nothing. But when things go belly up, they can sort things out quickly. Give our families the pay they deserve once and for all. Uh, thanks. And Mary says the army were great crack when they were working at the time the Pope was in Dublin. But I remember they were given a lunchbox. The Gardaí were given a proper meal. It seems like they've always been disrespected when it comes to their work. I remember covering that story when the Pope, the last Pope, was it, or this Pope, was it Francis, was in Dublin a couple of years ago. And the army, the, the rations handed out to the army, you, you wouldn't give them to the dog after the dinner. I remember seeing that. Thank you. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Just looking at the weather forecast for the next few days. Even Met Aaron now saying this morning that they see the early days of next week as being very nice indeed. And the weekend, it looks to get, by Irish standards anyway, hot. Uh, I'm looking into the weekend on the Dark Sky weather app, but it's telling me Saturday, 22, 23 degrees. Sunday, 23, 24 degrees. But middle of next week, this day week, we're looking at 24, 25 degrees. So summer is definitely coming, although on the maps I'm seeing in front of me a bit more cloud than I would like. But at least it's warm. I sat out last evening actually, and it was the first time I've been able to do it properly this summer. Uh, was I sat out with a book out the back garden. I, I, this time of the year I hardly watch any telly this time of the year. I don't know about you, I tend to start stacking up stuff for the cold winter evenings as regards telly. I tend to, to read a lot these evenings and I'm reading I must try and get him on the show before I go on my holidays um, because I talked to him before about it he was very interested a guy called Shane Dunphy he writes under the name of S.A. Dunphy and he is a prolific crime writer now his background is in the protection services child protection services social care services that kind of thing so he's got an in-depth knowledge of all that area and police work he seems to know procedural police work backwards he writes super books and if you're looking to pick something up for the holidays and I'll be doing this over the next week or so as I head off on my own holidays looking for looking, reminding you of stuff you can bring with you to read um, you can download them all to your Kindle or I'm sure you'll pick them up in a bookstation or Waterstones or Dubray or any one of those places or Easton's books by S.A. Dunphy uh, strongly do recommend them. 0818969696. We had a message in, an anonymous message. Well, we know who sent it in, but we're obviously not reading out their name. Um, on the back of the Safe Pharmacy Initiative, my conversation with Una in the last hour from the Irish Pharmacy Union. Uh, that Safe Farm Initiative is very good. Can I just say, my own sister has used something similar in another country. She went through a very bad patch in life 
where she couldn't see what was going on in her relationship. She always believed it was her and her partner against the world, and no matter what he did to her, they had to stay together. Well, one day she was inside the pharmacy, and something clicked. Something snapped. She asked the girl at the counter to speak to the pharmacist, and in the consulting room, it all came out. How she felt second best, how she felt trapped by her life, and trapped by him. And it really was the start of her escape. She's doing well now, but the more opportunity we have for this, the better. And that is exactly what the Safe Pharmacy Initiative is. And as Una was telling me, you'll know that it's available in your local pharmacy because they have been given a sticker to put on the door and a sticker to put on the window. And it'll just say Safe Pharmacy. And they're being positioned, according to the video I saw anyway, the promotional video, they're being position sort of, you know when you go up against the pharmacy door and you kind of, you push it in or or it slides open in front of you they'll be right there, literally at eye level that it's a safe pharmacy and go in, you don't have to say what it's for, just ask to speak to the pharmacist, she could be doing about anything and you'll be brought in the back and they'll talk to you and they'll give you a telephone if you want to ring somebody they'll make a call for you if you are not able to make one for yourself and there's the story from it happened in another country and it was the start of somebody's escape. Thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. The army at Dublin Airport. Tom, uh, the use of the army in the airport is unacceptable. They should only provide aid to civil power when required. And of course, civil power being the guards or some other branch of the government, not a private company like Dublin Airport Authority. Thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. And there's all sorts of coaching out there at the moment. There's business coaching. There's life coaching. There's performance coaching. And there's sports coaching. And there's wedding coaching. What? Wedding coaching. Sarah, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Sarah from bridalcoaching.ie. Filing or feeling? Help me here. Filing. Filing. Sarah Filing. From bridalcoaching.ie. Wedding coaching is a new one on me, Sarah. Tell me about it. Yeah. And it's gas because I've been doing it since 2017. But like being honest, it took a while to kind of take off and um, people aren't sure what it is. So I set it up, as I said, in 2017, because I have a big interest in weddings. I love attending weddings. I love hearing all about them. When my friends were planning weddings, I'd always be, you know, loving the detail and everything. And I did my coaching diploma then in 2016. And in 2017, I realized I was like, geez, I could, you know, marry the two, basically, pardon the pun. Mm -hmm. And um, so what I do is I did did my coaching diploma and I did a wedding planning course then as well, you know, to really supplement the, the information. And I built up contacts and things in the industry. So what I do is I support people that anybody, it's not just for brides, um, anybody who's planning a wedding or wants to support a bride or anything like that. Um, and I support them in the sense of it's mostly people that are planning their own wedding that I work with. But right. I can also support people through the stress management and emotional uh, regulation side of it because planning a wedding anybody who knows who has planned a wedding mm-hmm. knows it's stressful like I, I um, was going to ask you the question like we've all know or heard of 
wedding coordinators, wedding planners who will go through everything with you and do all the heavy lifting for you, make all the phone calls that you need to make and make sure everybody's there when they're supposed to be there. That's the coordinator. Mm -hmm. What's the difference then between that and a coach? So I literally coach, I can coach you on any element of your wedding. So specifically, if someone was coming to me that has just got engaged, we'd start out by creating a vision for their wedding. So what have they always hoped for, dreamed for, and kind of getting down to the nitty gritty details, like are they going to go church, are they going to go, you know, hotel, civil ceremony, whatever the case may be. And we start from there and I would be like, it's, I get a lot of people in that aren't getting a lot of interest from maybe the bridal party or aren't getting a lot of support. And it's all about, um, I coach them around being assertive as well and finding out what their needs are while, you know, during the wedding planning process. Um, and like, the, it, there's a lot of kind of personal development around it as well. You wouldn't think it, but there is. Um, so, yeah, I'm just basically, you know, an added support, but with the bonus of being a wedding professional, you know, having that wedding planning knowledge, mm-hmm. I suppose I could see people's blind spots as well. And I also help them with accountability and staying on track and motivated, you know, because there's like there's so much to planning a wedding. There's so much responsibility and it can get very stressful. So mm-hmm. it's that added support with the, you know, with the added bonus of someone who has contacts and has the know-how and you know I'm a problem solver as well like so yeah it's um it's a fantastic service for people and people find it really really good I'm going to mention two words here and when I do heads will nod at kitchen tables around Cork I promise you family <laughs> politics oh yes <laughs> definitely, you only yeah. discover the politics of the families at the time of a wedding, weddings and funerals, Absolutely. but the weddings are the first of it, right? So I'm sure that comes up. It does. It comes up a lot. And again, that's where the assertiveness comes in. You know, um, I often have to remind people it's your wedding, not your mother-in-law's or not your mother's or, you know, whatever the case may be. But also I, I try to guide people in being very gentle and compassionate, you know, because it's not just an important day for the bride, but, you know, other people can get very, you know, strong feelings about it too. And like, you'd be amazed as well. There's a lot of people that come to me that nobody has any interest in what they're doing. They just land on for the day and have a great time. And they don't appreciate, a lot of people don't appreciate the work that goes into it. So I'm there then to be interested, ask them how they're getting on, what's next, you know, mm. be that accountability, be that support. And it's just, it has such a profound effect on people when they're not getting the support from their own people, you know, to get it from me. It, it really helps. And yeah. it's it's like a lifeline at times for people, you know. Assertiveness is a, is a strange word. It conjures up all sorts of meanings for people. You know, you, you don't want to come across as you know, a bit of a, a, a bit of a bridezilla or a groomzilla. No. <laughs> but at the same time, you want to be able to say firmly and kindly, I'm sorry, Mrs. O'Sullivan, this is not what we want. Yeah, this is it. And like, I mean, look, people get helped out by their family as well in terms of budget and all of that. And you kind of have to strike a balance then, of course. Mm-hmm. It's all about, you know, 
being diplomatic, knowing what you want, knowing what they want and finding a compromise as much as possible. But then for people, you know, that are, are fully responsible for their budget and fully responsible for all the planning and everything it's about really you know not self-sacrificing and making sure that look it's their wedding it's their day they're the, the people that are most important and I think we saw that big time during COVID as well like COVID really stripped back yeah. all the things that aren't important and it has it has had a huge influence on wedding trends and really... everything and will have for many years going forward like you know the big mass of weddings have kind of died down an awful lot people have really kind of cut down their numbers people see the value now of uh, like big trends at the moment are midweek weddings and other um, trends are like back garden weddings and, and marquee weddings and things like that mm. so it's had a huge influence um you know, weddings as well. With we had at one point during the pandemic, you you only had six at your wedding, and then twenty five. Yeah. Now let's six was off the scale entirely. But let's look at twenty. Let's yeah. look at twenty five. I mean, yeah, that you really have to pick who you value, don't you? You do. I had to do it myself. I literally oh. had to plan three weddings myself. Three and. Three, I was initially supposed to go to uh, Tuscany in Italy and that went by the wayside. That, that was supposed to be May 21, but we decided the year before that it, it just, we did not think it was going to happen. So with that decision then, I said, you know, I could see the way the trends were going and I said, we need to cut our numbers to nothing. Well, to 20 basically was what we cut our numbers to. And we stuck with that all along and it was rising and falling and going back and forth. But we stuck with it because the the hardest part of that is, you know, we'll say if you rise again, who do you cut out if you yep. if you decide to have yep. 50? Yep. So we really had to cut it to the bone. There was people that we really wanted to have there, but we, we, we couldn't. We literally couldn't. And in the end, I think we had 21 on the day. And everybody has come back to us since and said, like, we didn't. We had music all right during the day. But everybody has said, like, we didn't have any band at night and we all talked and mixed and people had a fabulous day. It was absolutely mm. fabulous. Mind, mind so, you, for you, yeah. you love bands, so that must have been tough for you. Yeah. <laughs> this is it, yeah. So it was, yeah. But I had, um, I had, uh, we had a first dance and things with the music um, uh, during the day. So we made up for it in different ways. And basically, what I did was I had to cut everything down to what was the most important elements to myself mm. and my husband. And that's what I help people do as well, you know, to really find out what's important to them to kind of, you know, especially to kind of match people with their budget as well, match the vision with the budget. And I've lots of kind of tips and tricks around that too. Yeah. You know, mm. there's there's ways and means yeah. of doing things you, very easily. You don't want to be having a Kardashian wedding on a Coronation Street no. budget like, you know? No, sure. Who are you doing it for in the end anyway? I mean, really, like it's such a busy day for a bride and groom as well. Like you've everything, you've the photos, you've the reception, you know, you've all of that. Like, and I mean, really, I've, I've spoken to so many people after their wedding and like the day just flies and like you're really a lot of things that are put on is mostly for the guests but like do they really appreciate it after I would now but not everybody does like you know what well, I mean well it's funny it's it's a it's a while now since I got married um, a considerable while but I, I, I still remember it was a Saturday in June and 
things were settling, the band were done, yeah. everything was happy, and I sat down, and my missus sat down at the table with me, and we sat down with a couple of our very closest friends, the most important people in our world, and a point was put in front of me. And to that, mm-hmm. to, from that day to this, that was the sweetest point I've ever drank in my life. That <laughs> relaxed, lovely moment with yeah. the party going on around us, but just with our dearest friends. That was a moment. Exactly, yeah. You know, I'll never forget that. Never forget it. If anyone wants to contact you, it's bridalcoaching.ie. That's right. All right. Sarah Filan. Listen, thanks very much for being with me. I, I, I still remember that to this day. And then, and then, no, I won't. She'd kill me if I tell you what happened then. Oh, eight one, and she, oh, no, she would. No, stop. She, she would. Oh, listen, um, Eugene had a question there. We'll ask Sarah about this one. Sorry, there was no other there. I didn't see this in time. What advice would Sarah give when dealing with a family that don't see a civil service as real weddings because of their religious belief? Mm, that's a good question. I didn't see that before now. Let's see what she says. See what she says. 0818 96 96 96. Good morning, Tommy Tiernan. There has to be a book in you, Tom. Like, there really does. Back in the late 1990s, I had an idea for a novel on the way to a meeting with the publishers. And I don't know if they've ever said this to anybody else before. They said it was unpublishable. Wow. So I know that my, my gift really is not in... Like, even when I was a kid, I would often go in to school with all my homework in my mouth. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool exclusively Skoda in the city find your next car online at noeldc.com open 24-7 not sure what the next big gig is in Cork I know that it's Westlife in Westlife in August isn't it it's the next Parky Cueve gig um but I, I, I'm not too sure what else we've got coming up around Cork. Oh, we've got Indefe- Independence. Yes, that's coming up on the August weekend and plenty more besides it. The lads giving away great prizes for that in the morning. But all the festivals, all the music from all the festival headliners. We did this in the last couple of summers when we couldn't do a whole lot. And by popular demand, it's back this year on the app or at 96fm.ie. I'm telling you about the Back Garden Festival with all the festival headliners streaming exclusively online, all the music from all the stars of all the festivals this summer. Brought to you by Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. It's on the app now, or you can go to 96fm.ie. 0818-969696. Now, we've all, there are loads of little small businesses have cropped up during COVID. Food trucks and sweet shops and little small businesses. Um, But a little small business with a little small person behind the counter is very unusual and sweet. Literally sweet. I'm joined by Sharon Piper um, to talk about Libby's little sweet shop. Sharon, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. And the, the, the cutest thing about this is it's a little sweet shop with a little person behind the counter. Tell me about Libby and tell me about the shop. Well, Libby. Well, Libby is um, Libby's seven years of age, and Libby has always, as you know, she's in the background where where we work. 
So she's always been out and about with us. So we picked up this small little shop that was originally supposed to be a crepe shop, supposed yeah. to go for crepe stalls. But it's just that we got double bookings this year. So we needed two candy floss stalls. So we turned it into a small little sweet shop. So lo and behold, Libby went into the little sweet shop and it kind of became her own. And people started to come to her. And again, the novelty of a little child inside it. But the thing is, she's not in there on her own. Obviously, I'm yeah, with her. Of course. But yeah. the thing is, um, it was just the novelty of her serving and for the size we're being able to make candy floss. Brilliant. So it just kind of caught on that way, you know. <laughs> now, it wasn't intentionally, but it just it just seemed to have caught on. It's gone very popular with her. Just uh, worth mentioning to people that you are Sharon of the famous Pipers, the Pipers Amusement people. <laughs> Well, that's it. So that's why it's it seems to be in her, you know. So it's kind of she's been around with me since she's small. We, you know, so it's kind of it's second nature to her. Yeah. I mean, if she couldn't make candy you last know? night, there's something wrong. <laughs> well, that's it. You know, it's kind of a given since she's born. That's what <laughs> she's nearly born with a candy plastic in her hand. You know, <laughs> it's brilliant. And and the the shop, what's the, where's the vehicle from? It's a small little small little vehicle. Where did it come from? It's a small. We bought it actually from someone up there in uh, Lemmy Bryan. They had it for sale. It was our. It was originally for selling crepes and strawberries. They had it outside their garage, and it came for sale. So we looked into it, and as I said, we bought it to do crepes. But um, then, as I said, it initially went into another little sweet shop. So we only bought it there just before Christmas. Right. It has a lovely name, Libby's Little Wee Red Sweet Shop. That's it. And as I said, it was just, you know, as I said, it wasn't intentional and it has just turned out that way. And, you know, it's good for her because she's good with people and, mm. you know, for the size of her, she's she's doing really well. Is she, is she there? She is, yeah. Can I'll put her on to you there now. One second now. Hello. Hi, Libby. How are you? Good. Do you love your sweet shop? Yeah. What kind of sweets have you got? Um, lollipops, candy floss, popcorn. Mm-hmm. And do you have jellies? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 do you love working in it, yeah? Yeah. How hard is it to make candy floss? Because I can't make it at all. I wouldn't know how to make it. Not that hard. What do you do with it? How do you do it? Do you spin it around? Do you do? Yeah. Good for you. So would you like to have a keep work? I know you, you're going to school, aren't you? Yeah. You're not giving up the school just yet, like. You're going to stay with school for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, very good, very good. And, and tell me, I, I'm i hearing that you want to save up the money that you make from the shop to do something very special. What do yeah. you want to do? I want to go to Disney. You want to go to Disneyland with your sweet shop money? All right. Put me back on to your mum. And good luck, Libby. You're fantastic. You're brilliant. Thank you. You're brilliant. She wants to go to Disneyland with the sweet shop money. Oh, she wants to go to Disneyland. That's it, yeah. You know what? It's great to have a plan, isn't it? She's got got her head screwed on. She knows what she wants. She knows what she wants. That's it. That's it. She knows what she wants. And she knows how she's going about getting to... 
Oh, that's it, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I can't so, guarantee now if you go to her, you'll get any change, but <laughs> rather go to the Disney fund. Now, <laughs> no. now, straight away, people are going to want to know where they can find the shop and buy some sweets. Where yeah. they can find her. Well, what we do is we normally go around to like one day festivals and stuff, but our main residence really is the summer swing events in Cove. Right. We've we've kind of um, become part of Cove now where they are a lot because I'm there with the merry-go-round and I've a set of children's uh, teacups as well. And oh, this is down in the seafront. So we're there a lot. Brilliant. Down in the seafront in Cove, it's fantastic and they have open-air bands and unfortunately now we just have missed the first two weekends of it because we just had prior bookings. Mm-hmm. So from we'll be missing this one now, but from the following one, we'll be there for the whole summer again and it's great and we love Cove and I have a connection with Cove because my... My grandmother's from Cove, right. okay. so she'd be one to so I have a, a connection with it, you know. So we've kind of, yeah, we've adapted ourselves to Cove. Fantastic. And you find the little red sweet shop down there with Libby in it. That's uh, Libby and her mom, Sharon, Sharon Piper of the famous Piper's Amusements family. Is it any wonder that they're making candy floss? Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Libby. And I hope you get to to Disneyland. 0818 96 96 96. Right, Eugene, we did ask... We asked Sarah that question. The question was, what advice would Sarah give when dealing with a family that don't see a civil service as a real wedding because of their religious beliefs? So, she said, it's very important to be deeply respectful to everyone's beliefs. Let the relatives know that you understand they have those beliefs but, and that you want them to be part of your life. But, this is the but, this is the start of your life together as a couple and it'll only work out if you make your own beliefs and cultures. This is where the kind form of assertiveness comes in. But I certainly would emphasise that you understand their beliefs, that you want them to be in your life, but this is the way things are going to be and you hope that they'll stay in your life. To make it work, you have to work on your attitude to being assertive and what that really means. And you can pick nice readings that would bring in the religious beliefs of the relatives without compromising your position and that can be a way of accommodating them too I was actually at one of those weddings, it's a few years ago now, uh, Queen Bee sang, for she does that she sang at a wedding beautiful wedding in Clonakilty uh, in that is it, yeah, you know Clon, you know that, that gorgeous hotel out the road from Clan. It's the Dunmore, the one with the golf course, looking out to sea. It was a most beautiful summer's day. And I drove down and, like I said, herself was singing at the wedding and whatever. But it was one of these civil weddings. And one of the readings, it wasn't stated as such, but one of the readings was clearly a New Testament reading. And it, I think it was there to accommodate the fact that some of the people at the wedding might have had religious beliefs. So that's not, that's a nice idea. There's an idea, Eugene. Uh, 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Right, 6th of July today, which means tonight a new six-part series Hits your televisions, RT1. It's called Paul's Food Truck Favourites, uh, looking into Ireland's thriving food truck and street food scene. Sponsored by uh, Kerry Gold. We'll talk to uh, Daniel Fleming 
for from Aperture Media in a while, the man behind the series. But let's talk to Paul Flynn first. Paul is the uh, chef and the owner of the tannery in Dungarvan, a very famous restaurant and cookery school. Paul, good morning to you. The the whole food truck and street food industry really it really blossomed up during COVID, didn't it? Yeah, there's some amazing food trucks out there. I mean, it was really good to begin with and growing every year steadily. But when COVID happened and there was a lockdown, it just exploded. And it's amazing how diverse and brilliant they are. And we tried to show that. We traveled all over the country. So it's a bit of a, a travelogue as well. And then we meet people. And altogether, we feature 18 trucks over six programs. And the food is incredibly diverse. And the people are brilliant and all very hardworking and extremely imaginative and I hope that uh, people enjoy it and also I get to take my own little caravan out on the road to, to feel what that life is like and I loved every minute of it yeah. The idea was pre-Covid you were going to look at festivals like Electric Picnic Yeah that's true, it's kind of been bouncing around my head for a long time I suppose and then I met Daniel from Aperture Media and we, we, we hit it off and, and Paul Woods uh, who's the director and we just kind of, I suppose, we, we, we massaged it a little bit in terms of what, you know, to suit COVID times. And this is what came out. So it's finally here. I think it's really been sort of gestating for about almost three years, I would say. And it's great to have it on our screens this evening. Before I go to, over to, to, uh, to Daniel, what do you think, Paul, is the attraction of a food truck? Is it the, the wonder of the... The, the, the customers, you wander up and you think, right, what what can I get here? And then you realize yeah. there's something very different and something very good and the yeah. quality of what's yeah. being produced. Like it's, yeah. This is a lot big change from what used to be slopped over the counter of a truck by the beach long ago. You're, you're so right. And it's not just about burgers and chips. It's a million miles away from that. There's loads of talented people. And again, I mean, I'm mentioning the, the, the word diversity. It's It's all sorts of different food and people kind of go, they really let their imaginations run wild and that's what's lovely about it. There's so many talented people out there and it, it's exciting food. That's the only way I can put it and the freedom of having a food truck is something that's very appealing to me. Okay. Let me bring in uh, Daniel Fleming uh, from Aperture Media uh, who's been making this show which starts tonight on uh, RTE1. So Daniel, the idea was pre-COVID to go and look at what was happening at festivals but COVID brought a whole new element to it, didn't it? Morning. Hi, hi JP, and th- thanks for having us on. It did, like Paul said, it, it started probably early 2019, and um, we were going to follow uh, food trucks that uh, went to some cool festivals, and Paul might have maybe brought taken his food truck to a, a festival as well to see how it goes. Then, um, and, and Artie and Kerry Gold were, were on board with us back then. Uh, then then the pandemic happened, and everything had to be put on hold, but, but like, like Paul said, we saw just a explosion of new food trucks uh, all over the country and and um, and we sort of tweaked the idea slightly and um, thankfully RT and Kerry Gold were still on board with us a year later mm. and still backed it so we were able to um, we were able to get it going and 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 did all the filming uh, last summer yeah right now each episode will focus on a different basic ingredient you got a beef episode you got a Seafood, that's the one I'm most interested in seeing, the seafood, because I came across a little place down in West Cork and, like, I thought, right, that's an old fish and chips truck. It wasn't. It was the most remarkable range of fresh seafood, like prawns literally fried off in front of you, like, magnificent. What's being done with seafood in these little trucks is phenomenal. 
it, it is uh, episode four of seafood and um and we feature uh, three trucks uh uh salty boy uh with chef Niles Sabangi, uh fred and nancy's truck and julia's lobster truck in claire also um but you're right the the seafood the seafood is just amazing it's so fresh but but with all the, with all the trucks what they do with their with their local ingredients uh is, is just just phenomenal and the the food we we uh experienced and thankfully got to uh taste uh, all of it along the way uh was just just amazing what 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 they can do with in such a small space in such a small space um, exactly yeah, yeah. exactly and thank you because of paul someone like yourself lastly you know you'd be you'd be more accustomed to working in in a well-equipped large kitchen <laughs> yeah but i really enjoyed working in the the caravan we had this fabulous little antique I think it was from the 1970s caravan that was on site every time. And I kind of fell in love with it because there was plenty of space in there. And yet what you do, you get to meet the people. And that's a, a thing that I ordinarily don't get to do. Yeah. So we had great crack and great fun uh, you know, throughout the whole thing. And, you know, it's a bit of excitement for me because you, you get to, I suppose, work in a different environment. And that's always exciting. Good to hear. All right, all right. Daniel Fleming and Paul Flynn. Uh, Paul from the Tannery in Dungarvan and Daniel Fleming from Aperture Media. The series starting tonight is called Paul's Food Truck Favourites. It'll run throughout the summer on RTE1, sponsored by Kerry Gold. And also coming up, it started last night on the player, this is the RTE player, is the Battle of the Food Trucks Season 2. And I was talking about this last summer, where they went and they found food trucks around the country and they put them up against each other and set them various tasks and various challenges as to what you could do in a small little food truck. And once again, six of the country's trucks are going head-to-head uh, over the next number of weeks. And one of those trucks is from Cork. And it is, it is called Spice Genie. And it is run and operated by Christopher Braganza. Christopher has a remarkable story, and he's been telling me. Christopher, you've been in Ireland now for, is it 10 years? Uh, yes, PJ. This is my 11th year now. Y- your brother had been here before you, right? Yes, two years before me. He was a nurse in a care home. He invited me after that in 2012. He came here in 2010. Very good. Was it during COVID that the food truck idea came? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, PJ, I always used to be a pastry chef. I've never cooked in kitchens. I've always baked in kitchens. So during lockdown, three months of lockdown, every day I used to do a dish for myself. I used to live alone in my apartment. And that's how the cooking came out. But I always had an idea of cooking, but nobody taught me these things. Yeah. So then after the first lockdown, I joined the farmer's market, Wilton Farmer's Market, and I started cooking in the market because I don't have a kitchen because uh, HSC let me cook in the market fresh. So there was no transportation of food, cooked yeah. food. So that's how it all started. And from then on, I got the idea of getting the food truck in 2021. My brother helped me purchase this one. And that's how it all started. It was a dream I never had. Yeah. I know a little bit about Indian food in that it's very regional. Um, So, like, what region are you from and what are the traditional dishes of your region? Uh, I'm. I come from a region called Goa. It, ah, yeah. it used to be a. It used to be a Portuguese colony, but it's a part of India from 1961. But uh, on my menu, I usually have three regions: the North India, which is the butter chicken or the chicken tikka. It's from the north of India. Yeah. The beef is with my Goan spices, so that is Goan. 
the rice is traditional pulao rice i don't cook rice in, i don't cook plain rice on my food truck it's always pulao rice with some vegetables yeah and then the third one would be the masala dosa which is south indian now this is not my food but i'm still able to deliver to the people you know to the audience yeah and yeah. they love what i do it's different am i right in thinking krishna goa is the home of vindaloo uh, yes everybody gets this thing wrong people think Uh, Vindaloo has to be spicy or in Indian restaurant no. it has tomatoes but no Vindaloo has only chilies ginger garlic and some spices and I want to put it on the menu very soon yeah. because I don't have a pork dish on my menu but if for private events I go to people's houses to cook for them I yeah. do pork dishes yeah. so I- depending on my audience I select my dishes Yeah I I I love vindaloo and it's very hard to get good vindaloo because most people think it's got to burn the mouth off if you know it's about the flavor not about yes. the, not about the heat it's no, it, no. Yeah, yeah so so on the truck what what do you do is it basic dishes yeah I have five dishes which are standard but I change the flavor every time or the, like different spices but the chicken tikka remains the same because the kids come looking for it the yeah. red curry I tried to change it but it didn't do well. Then I tried to put biryani on the menu. Many people do not know what biryani is, oh, but yeah. then uh, many people know biryani so now I will start cooking for them. I love so biryani. <laughs> yeah, so no, it's a very technical dish and for this competition I I will be doing it. So if mm. everything goes well, I will uh, do biryani on the show. How do you create because I know a lot of Indian food you need very high heat because it's fast cooking how do you create that high heat on a truck and that's a very good question because you understand with the cooking thing because you need high flame otherwise you are boiling the chicken but i have 9 kilowatt of burners in my food truck which i use before cooking and then i take them out So when I when I get to the market early in the morning seven o'clock I start cooking my chicken dishes beef dishes, and then they are there standing in the bay mary. But the cooking is done in the morning. Yeah, yeah. power yeah. is nine kilowatts. Wow, it can be higher also. Yeah. Uh, but traditionally in the restaurants there would be tandoors where they cook their chicken. That's but right. But I I I do it with whatever I have. Yeah. You ju- I just need a fire, a flame to cook it for you. And can you do naan bread? Because I know that has to be cooked really fast as well. No, there are two types of naan bread. There is the tandoor naan bread, and then there's a tawa naan bread, which is the pan. So at homes, domestic kitchens in in India, people don't have tandoors. Mm. Every every house won't have it. So the recipe remains the same, but you do it on the pan griddle. Yeah. So I I I I do it from scratch, and it's very easy. But if you do it right, the consistency. I don't have recipes. It's just by instinct. Yeah. How did you get interested, and how did you get involved in the television show, Christopher? I I applied for it last year, but I was too late. Um I sent a message to the presenter James Petris and he apparently he saw my message this year after the uh, after I applied and then he sent me a text sorry I just saw it this year but then this year I applied for it and then there were video calls interviews hmm. and they check whether you they check whether you it's your truck you are on the truck or you, somebody else working because it has to be you not somebody else working and yeah. you don't have help so everything is done shopping chopping everything is done from scratch so everything is recorded So there yeah. are cameras watching you. There's no cheating. There's no paste or ready-made paste which can be used. Yeah. I try to use everything from scratch: tomatoes, onion, ginger, garlic, spice box. That's yeah. enough for me. Yeah, it's brilliant. And I can create anything. Yeah. So I, I'm happy I could um, uh, I could apply for this, and you know I'm looking forward to this. Fantastic. You've got other dimensions to yours. You t- you are a football referee and a masseuse. Tell me more. Um, oh yes, I. 
in 2016, I, I was working in the city. I used to work for Market Lane. And then College of Commerce was just nearby. So there were courses there. I, I did a six-week course in massage therapy. And then I left kitchen. I used to do part-time in some bakeries. And then I did a two-year course in uh, holistic therapies. After the course, I joined Castlemata Resort Spa as a massage therapist. So in the evening, I used to do the spa. And in the morning, I was a big breakfast chef there. <laughs> so I do breakfast and everything. And the chef, the general manager... Uh, Brandon, Chef Kevin Burke, Ifa, uh, the spa manager—they're all lovely. They were—they were—they were really happy to have me. Yeah. So I did it for two years in Castlemata, and then I had my own massage clinic in Middleton. But because of COVID, I had to close it. Yes. So I closed that, and then all this cooking came. One of my friends, her name is Nicola. She's an artist in Middleton. She had her own art gallery. So she said something to me. She like, Chris, my brother loves your food. Food is your thing. I think you should not do massage. But luckily for me, because of COVID, I had to close my clinic in March. So that was the best thing ever. And all these things came out after that. So that thing always struck me. And from then, food has been my thing. Food is my first love now. Brilliant. Refereeing used to be my first love. Yeah, the the refereeing, how did that come about? You're, You're referee League of Ireland, do you? Uh, yes, I started assisting my father in 2003. He was a national referee in India. Right. And then my brother invited me to Ireland only because of refereeing, not for cooking, not for pastry. Oh, pastry you came here to be a referee? Yeah, no, to pursue my dream. It's it's my only, It has been my only dream from childhood. Right. From, yeah, but uh, God's delays are not God's denials. I will get there. I'm, I'm on the League of Ireland panel. Right, so you came to yeah. Ireland to be a football referee and here you are... Yeah. Running running high successful food. Ah, man, listen, you've had so many different things going on. The the other thing which many people do not know, I'm also a healthcare assistant, but at the moment, because of COVID, I was not doing the healthcare and cooking. So I used to work for an agency. I worked in CUH also as a healthcare assistant. Yeah. So so I've done that also. Like, I could not stick to one job. If somebody can do my job, I leave that job. It's like that for me. So there are jobs to pay your bills. Then there are jobs which are your passions. Yeah. And then there are jobs to keep you fit. So refereeing keeps me fit, cooking keeps me happy. Honest. And then there are jobs to keep uh, pay your bills. Yeah. Have you been on Master Chef? Uh, yes, PJ. In 2014, when I worked for the Cliff House um, in Ardmore, yeah, there, there was the contest held. The quarterfinal was held in the Master Chef. So I was the pastry chef there. I trained one of the contestant in that round. I see. To, uh, it was a chocolate dessert. And uh, uh, as fortune will have it, Kwanji was my head chef. Yeah, he won the battle last year, battle of the food trucks last year. Yeah, so he was the head chef in the Cliff House. So I, I was his pastry chef. So, oh, he set some standard for you then heading into this competition, didn't he? Uh, yes, because you know it's all about the small details. It's timing, timing and technique. Yeah, and. Everything there is pressure, but it's in your control. Yeah. You can control the pressure. So, no, what kind of like, things have you had to make for the the series? I know we're not we're not. I'm not allowed to know how you've done. Uh, no. Yeah, no, I, I can't tell you. Okay. Well, what <laughs> stuff have you have you been, have, have been making? Like you know, first round we had to do our signature dish. So I did uh, a, a tribute to Ireland. I did the Irish flag on my plate. So I did the chicken tikka, white pulao rice, and a green okra vegetable with the naan bread. So everything was cooked from scratch and in one hour. So there was nothing pre-made, nothing, everything, even rice, chicken, everything. I even grilled the chicken on the barbecue. Fantastic. Traditional. 
And then there is the dessert round where you have to make it's a sweet anything. So being a pastry chef, that was an easy thing for me. Yeah. And then there is a mystery round. Then there's another round where you have pressure cooker test where you have to work in the other contest. Any one they will choose. Right. So you have to work in their truck and do their signature dish. So somebody else does my dish. Wow. And okay. yeah, it was. And then there was one round where there is a mystery dish. So the, they give you a dish, and you have to replicate that dish. Yeah. It's been so, it's been fun. Then I'm thinking, where can I get to sample your food? Yeah, PJ, on on Tuesday, uh, I'm in Wilton. So today I'm in Wilton uh, Farmers Market. On Wednesday, I'm in the Kinsale Farmers Market. That's the best. That's my best market. Uh, lovely people. Even Wilton people are lovely, but Kinsale is the busiest. And then on Saturday, I'm in Middleton, eight in the morning, serving food till two. But if I have a match, so I leave at one. So my brother or my friend, he they will serve the food. Yeah. He'll close the truck, but I go for my match. So like last week, I was in Limerick at five o'clock to match. So I left at two o'clock, yeah. and I did the women's national league match. Yeah. And then the following day, I was in Wexford doing matches. So on weekends, ma- matches are my priority. Do you know what, Christopher? You're great fun, and it's fantastic to talk to you. And I wish you so much luck in in this television show. And I can't, I absolutely cannot wait to sample the food from Spice Genie. Thank you, TJ. Thank you. Have a nice day. Lovely fella. Lovely fella. Uh, interesting story, Christopher Braganza. Uh, he's on Battle of the Food Trucks, which is on the RTE player. 0818 96 96 96. I can't wait to find that one. Kate, you've got some recommendations for me, I think, Hi, for, for yes, good food trucks. There's a wonderful one down there by the bridge in Kinsale. Yeah. They do wonderful fish and chips. And you have the fish basket down in Long Strand. You have Poulet Vood, the Marine, all the markets have yeah. wonderful food trucks. And you have the Trawler Boys in Valley Cotton and a bean and very smoothie bowl and granola. It's down, it's a truck at Garrettstown Beach. They do a breakfast if you want something healthier. Right, but right. I think any of them that started these um, trucks up when COVID was there, isn't it marvellous? There's so much credit due to them. They just thought outside the box. Pardon yeah. the pun there. No, I, and were, I thought a lot of them would boxes. just fade away. No, because but they casual haven't. dining, casual dining is really art coming in. There's nothing nicer than going for a really long walk and finding a lovely food truck and having something to eat. That's right. And you know yourself, food outdoors tastes much nicer. Than it indoors. does. <laughs> it does. No, I, I love the one in Kinsale that you mentioned because oh, the fish basket God. is just brilliant. It's, oh, it's brilliant. Just wonderful. And did you see that joke on the Times about? Um, What's that horse bo- horse doing in the horse box? We've a kitchen to open. No, I think yep. it's one of the great things, Kate, to come out Excellent. of lockdown and come out of COVID is this fabulous little thriving industry of small yes. little businesses. Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, then they work so hard, you know. But mm. And even some places do a craft beer as well, mm-hmm. you know, while you're waiting for the, the other food. Yeah, so you're, that. you're right, Kate. Thanks okay. for that, and I wish them well, all right. of them. Take indeed, care. indeed, Take it's great. Care. Thank you, Kate. Bye. Thank you. There's one in, in in Douglas. Not quite a food truck. It's a it's a coffee truck. There's a couple of them actually. There's one in up there by the wood. Gary Duff Woods Aussies is lovely. They do lovely coffee and cakes and biscuits. There's another one down in the car park behind Dino's. There, the the woolen mills car park and I don't know if they're there all the time or just at the weekends but they're fado little tiny tiny little wagon and the most gorgeous coffee and they do puppuccinos and doggy treats yeah I could spend I know I have to find out where he is though I have to get in a nosh at Christopher's truck (laughs)
Uh, listen, that's it. Good one today. Program edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. Enjoy the rest of your day. It is going to brighten up. It is going to warm up. Summer is coming gradually over the next few days and hopefully will sit happily on top of us for the good part of a week. And then I'll be gone on holidays and I won't care. See you tomorrow just after nine. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. On Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With CarMax Used Cars Supermarket. Dublin Road for Moy. Great deals on hundreds of cars. Just a short drive from the tunnel. Visit C-A-R-M-A-X-X-Carmax.ie. On Cork's. 96 FM. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.